Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the House of Commons holds a special debate on the discovery of the remains of 215 children at a former residential school in British Columbia. It's important that we reflect and work with all levels of government to do more. Many are in our hands within the federal government to change. And I'm willing to work with all of you to find solutions that we can move forward. Green Party MPs are at odds with their leader on the Israel-Palestine conflict. I think it is very healthy to have a debate and to have um, differences of opinion uh, with respect to any issue. Uh, and that is healthy and that is something that should be encouraged in any healthy party and any healthy democracy. And the Department of National Defense says officials accept in principle all the recommendations in a review of the military justice system. Now in hindsight, uh, um, obviously we could have uh, and should have done uh, a lot more, but when we learn uh, anything that comes forward, we want to be able to take that action. And this is what today is about. It's Wednesday, June the 2nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us today. Okay, Mark. So let's start by talking about the latest in the aftermath of the discovery of 215 bodies of children at a residential school in British Columbia. The Prime Minister yesterday described it as the fault of Canada. Uh, There was a lot of discussion in the House of Commons last night about it. Uh, People are promising action and change. Murray Sinclair uh, has said he expects there will be the discoveries of more bodies at other residential schools in other parts of the country. Um, But there's also uh, another interesting angle of this. Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta, sort of bemoaned cancel culture after uh, the Calgary School Board decided to rename one of its schools because uh, it was called Langevin School and, and Langevin it was one of the architects of the residential school program. We went through that discussion in Ottawa a few years ago. There used to be a building called Langevin Block in downtown Ottawa, where the prime minister's office was. It's not called that anymore. So what do you think about how people have been reacting to this gruesome discovery? Well, I think there is a almost like a national sense of shock. Uh, Canadians think of, uh, we think of ourselves as being you know, peaceable, nonviolent uh, society, and our past is littered with these uh, horrible events. <clears throat> and and I'm sure that uh, if they do pursue this investigation in a rigorous way and explore other former residential school sites, that they will find other graves like this too. I, it makes me sick to even think about it. But I think that's the case. And uh, Murray Sinclair, Judge Murray Sinclair, who ran the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and who is, I think, undoubtedly the leading expert on this whole matter, um, he's saying that he expects to find more such grave sites uh, over time. Um, You know, this is a a matter that uh, has to be fully understood, fully uh, investigated, uh, whatever steps that follow, you know, have to be taken in the sense of goodwill and in the sense of, of national healing and understanding. It's not, you know, cancel culture, uh, for Canadians to no longer support the idea that certain of our forebears and the historical figures of our past 
behaved in beastly and murderous ways. We have to recognize that, and we have to make sure that history reflects that. I mean, we wouldn't have a debate about rewriting history if it were just the standard uh, historical research has uncovered new information on any other topic. You know what I mean? It's on this one where we seem to be having a distracting debate by Mr. Kenny and others about whether this is cancel culture or, you know, rewriting history or whatever it is. History is rewritten every single day, and um, it is not something set in stone. We all have to face up to this, I think, and uh, that's that's what's in our future. Do you think this is a, a, a turning point, though, in how Canadians view this issue? I find it interesting that it, it comes almost exactly a year after the George Floyd uh, death in the United States. And, and there were people at the time saying Canada can't look down its nose at Americans because we have our own issues in our backyard. And, and we have been talking about the plight of, of Indigenous children, uh, Indigenous women, Indigenous girls, Indigenous people for so long. And I wonder if this is a moment where people's perceptions will change and the demand for action will reach some kind of tipping point? Well, maybe, and I hope so. I mean, Aaron O'Toole uh, spoke yesterday during the debate, and he said it has to be about more than lowering flags or making gestures uh, while they are important. Um, there is this underlying discrimination and unfairness that still exists right across the country, and uh, that has to be dealt with. You know, uh, I'm in Nova Scotia, Mark, uh, and uh, this is where Donald Marshall's case um, was, you know, created a landmark uh, period of, of uh, you know, relations with Indigenous communities. And, um, you know, I thought that would have been a tipping point and a major turning point. And uh, it has been in some ways. Um, but it hasn't solved so many of the other problems. I mean, this this just goes way beyond all this, too, anyway, Mark. I mean, you know, uh, Indigenous communities in Ontario and all across the country that don't even have clean drinking water or proper housing or proper medical care. I mean, this is wrong. I mean, Canada is one of the richest places in the world. We can afford to fix that, fix this, and it is time we did. If it costs some money, so be it. All right. Appreciate your thoughts on that. Let's turn to a couple of other stories. Um, it appears Green Party MPs are at odds with their own leader on the Israel-Palestine conflict. And uh, and this is not the first time that there's been some tension between the leader of the party, the new leader of the party, Anami Paul, and, uh, and the members of the party. So what do you think is going on there? Well, partly I think it's a, it's a you know, the Greens are still on the fringe of Canadian mainstream politics. You know, they only have three MPs. Um, Annemi Paul is a, a new leader. She's not well known by Canadians. Her position on uh, on issues outside the environment ones, the one climate change and things like that, that we expect the Greens, we, we, we feel we all understand their positions. But to be a real grown-up political party and have a, a chance at electing members um, right across Canada, they have to have mature, grown-up policy positions on everything under the sun, including um, the Middle East and, and what's going on there. Uh, I don't see 
a lot of votes in, um, you know, a battle, internal battle in the Greens over this. Uh, they're not going to help themselves, and anything they do to undermine their new leader is just going to leave them on the tr- sort of dead-end trail that they were for so many years under Elizabeth May, where they never did articulate a vision for the country um, and never have been able to win people over to their cause because no one really knows what they stand for. So, uh, you know, uh, Enemy Paul is a new leader. She is probably not even that well-known among the Greens yet. And if you have some um, dissenting voices out there, they shouldn't be surprised. That's one of the tests of leadership. And um, anyone who wants to be the leader of any party, uh, and, and, you know, other parties have internal beefs over highly emotional issues like Israel and Palestine, and um, they have to find ways to deal with it. So, uh, you know, this is true for the Greens as well. And, um, you know, if they're going to go around firing darts at each other, um, they're just going to hold themselves back. So maybe they just have to have a good airing of this and figure out where they do stand, uh, you know, and get the, th- get the debate back to areas where they're more comfortable. All right. Finally, Dan, uh, the former Supreme Court Justice Morris Fish was asked to do an independent review of the state of the Canadian Armed Forces. And he said sexual misconduct in the military remains as rampant now as it was in 2015 when there was a federal report that first documented the extent of the problem. Uh, The government is the defense minister is saying it's going to look very seriously uh, that the the department and the government are going to look very seriously at at this report and its recommendations. Um, I know a lot of people have been waiting for significant change and and there's been a lot that's happened in the last few months alone. So where do you think this is going? Well, you know, this is this is more, uh, you know, pressing information and uh, confirmation of the problem that's existed there for so long. Um, you know, uh, former Justice Fish has really just confirmed what basically everybody knew that there's a systemic problem within the Canadian military that the generals have not dealt with. In fact, the generals themselves have been implicated in in several disturbing cases. And, um, you know, this has been going on and on and on. And we've had the government make pious claims that it was going to make do things better and all that. And they haven't until this point. Now, stuff has to change in a uh, tangible way. I mean, right now, if someone feels they've been victimized by sexual harassment, they still have to report it to their immediate chain of command, which might have the actual abusers within it. And this is something that, um, you know, is, is not satisfactory. And it may take uh, outside experts, investigators, and, and police work to come in and, and um you know, supervise some of this stuff if the military is not willing to do it on their own. And they aren't. This has become clear. Uh, so, you know, this is, uh, you know, we, we've had many statements by Defense Minister Sajjan about how things are going to change and, and all that. He, he doesn't seem to be the person able to drive that. Um, I don't know. I don't think the military would be damaged by having a new minister with somebody with some uh, determination to get in there and do that, because what's going on is the military would still rather be soldiers all the time and not deal with these, you know, HR issues as far as they see it. Uh, but as long as they keep doing that, they're going to have a hard time recruiting p- good people into the military. They're going to have uh, gaps in the uh, 
force requirements, you know, in a whole bunch of areas that they're already having. And there's going to be this continued undermining of confidence in the senior leadership. So, I mean, this has been going on for six years uh, in a formal way in terms of reviews and investigations. It's time to get something done. And uh, this is really up to the Trudeau government to get uh, roll up their sleeves and get to work on this and quit uh, making pious statements and get it done. All right. Dan, great to have your thoughts on all of this today. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. We must work together to ensure we bring our dark history to light, acknowledge it, and learn from it. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At TVO.org, John Michael McGrath argues residential schools are not a footnote in Canada's history. They are its past and present. McGrath writes, The discovery of 215 children's bodies at a residential school near Kamloops, British Columbia, forces us to ask, what does it say about a country that can't commit to anything beyond the current election cycle that it was able to perpetrate such crimes for so long as an unquestioned part of the national political consensus? These schools are not some shady parenthetical we can briefly mention before moving on to other sunnier topics. They were one of the earliest real national policies we had, and they were just one part of the larger Canadian project of eliminating Indigenous people. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues, we can't have Indigenous reconciliation without closing the employment gap. Schofield writes, income rose for everyone between 2006 and 2016, and poverty rates have declined. But the gap between non-Indigenous and First Nations people remains enormous. The calls from politicians, Indigenous leaders, and people across the country to take urgent action are loud and clear. There is a fine line here in finding that place between a lethargic status quo and patient progress that will take us closer to reconciling with the past. At iPolitics, Ian Colbert and Ryan Ness write that we must invest in people if we want to prepare for climate change. They write, Climate change will deepen existing socio-economic fractures. And without additional preparation, climate change will cost the country billions of dollars in increased illness, escalating health care costs, and lost productivity. Adapting to climate change has often been treated as an afterthought or even an admission of defeat. But the best way to minimize these disruptions is to understand the forms they're likely to take and move proactively to address them. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Minister of Indigenous Services will give his weekly briefing on the pandemic today. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on what to watch for. Mark, Minister Mark Miller will be joined by his departmental colleagues to give Canadians the latest on the pandemic and the vaccine rollout in Indigenous communities around the country. When it comes to COVID-19, these weekly updates are actually notable in that they showcase one of Canada's biggest pandemic success stories, the concerted effort and successes in preventing outbreaks and vaccinating Indigenous people. Last week, Minister Miller could congratulate more than 630 Indigenous communities and their public health workers for having given at least one dose of vaccine to 75% of Indigenous adults. The focus is now on trying to get out the second doses and targeting the younger population. These weekly briefings, though, are also a chance for reporters to grill the minister on other related issues, such as racism in the healthcare system. Without the shadow of a doubt, 
we can expect a lot of today's briefing also to turn to that issue of the legacy of residential schools and the government's performance in addressing that after that discovery of that mass grave of residential school children in British Columbia. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will meet with mayors and municipal leaders at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities virtual annual conference. And Foreign Affairs Minister Marc Garneau will speak at an event hosted by the Chamber of Commerce of Metropolitan Montreal. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, June the 2nd. Tune into Primetime Politics every evening on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.